Hey everybody, it's Kelly here with the Down and Dirty Fire Podcast, coming to you from Prince George's County, Maryland, Station 33, the Kentland Volunteer Fire Department, with Chief uh, William Vitellis. Going to talk a little bit about what we have going on here. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people know about your department. It's uh, I, I told somebody the other day, it's kind of... And correct me if I'm if I'm wrong or if this is too much, but I said it's like the FDNY of the fire, uh, volunteer fire service. Yeah, I mean we're uh, definitely a very big name. You know, we're not necessarily uh, millions of people worldwide like FDNY, but I, I would definitely say we're one of those love us or hate us kind of department. But at the end of the day, you still know us. Uh, it's got it's got a name, and people know it. All right, and it's been twenty eight years. Yep, coming in on 29 in May, 29 all-volunteer, May 26, 1995. Uh, that was a decision made by PG County. A lot of times companies go all-volunteer. It's their decision. Uh, essentially, long story short, PG County informed us, hey, uh, Memorial Day, we're pulling your career staffing out. On Tuesday morning, there's going to be no career guys here. You know, not to get into the politics of it too much, the culture around here has changed. But back in 1995, like the fire department, volunteer career, they were both thriving, and they were hoping to eliminate another volunteer fire department. And the guys stepped up. You know, they haven't missed a run. We haven't gone under staff since then, and uh, we're talking well over 10,000 days. Yes, yeah, that's longer than I've been alive. <laughs> Just barely. Only <laughs> only by a couple months. I've got, I've got it by a couple years, but uh, six. So not not by much. <laughs> So uh, how would you describe the culture here? Whenever I uh, talk about this place to anybody, I, I always tell people it is such a unique place. You know, you have guys who collect the paycheck on the job, and they get a mix of people. They get guys that are there for the paycheck, and they get guys that are there because they love the job. Mm -hmm. The crazy thing about this place is you can go to any volunteer house in the world, and they're going to have the same people. You know, they're going to have the people that join because they enjoy the social club. And then you're going to have the people that join because they like the firefighting aspect. When it comes to this place, everybody is full-blown on board with the fire department aspect. And when you surround yourself with like-minded people, you can just start knocking out tasks you didn't even know you guys could do. And... It truly is a culture, and it's something that was built over the years. You know, that culture was developed years before me. And, you know, we just hope, my generation, the new generation, we just hope to continue that culture, and we don't want to let those guys down. But the easiest thing to make it happen is you're just surrounded by these like-minded guys that we all want to do the same thing. We're all on the same page. We're all doing it. Yeah, uh got quite a few people I know um, that are up here and talk about it. One of you guys in there, I met him at the the conference um, last year around, I think, September sometime is when they do it. Uh, he, he talks about it the same way. Uh, guys I've worked with and past departments, I'll talk about it the same way. And it seems to be the kind of place you would want to work for a volunteer. You know, 
even on my my volunteer department that we try to have we, we're not continuously staffed but we do uh have that that good culture where people want to go there and train even brand new people come in and they just want to get after it yeah and I, th one of the unique things we offer that many volunteer fire departments can't offer you can you could have the greatest guys but we also have the call volume to go with it you mm -hmm. know we didn't pick that we didn't set that up it just so happened that that's what's in this area and that's what brought guys here you know if that call volume and the load, fire load was in North Carolina, you know, that's where the guys would go. So, again, not taking away anything from those departments. I, I was a member of a small department in New Jersey. We all got along great. We all loved being there. It was a great time. But it was just me branching out, wanting to do more, you know. 500 calls a year, that, that wasn't going to be able to do it for me. So the biggest thing this place offers um, we have a lot of out-of-state members, like you were saying. You bumped into one of our members in the in the kitchen. He's from your neck of the woods, and the reason we are able to get those out-of-state members is we can offer you one week, one weekend, two weekends, whatever you want to do, and you might be able to do what you do in a whole month, maybe two months back home. Uh, I always I always joke around my. The busiest year for my department back home when I was a member there, you know, like everybody, they've been getting a little bit busier every year. It was uh, 500 calls and 12 fires. And my first month moving into Cantland, did 505 calls and 13 fires. Oh, wow. And I was like, I just did a whole year's worth of call for my department back home. And, you know, 21, 22 years old, that was, that was exactly what I was looking to do. You know, so that that's neat, and that's one of the unique things we offer that brings in so many out-of-state members, not just local members. And there's a live-in program here, too, right? Yep, so unique to Prince George's County. It's starting to catch on other places, but uh, I don't have the exact year ours started, but ours actually dates back pretty far. Uh, possibly one of the first places to offer a live-in program, but... We have one of the nicer setups, you know, all the guys here kind of getting individual rooms, and we realize the livings are the ones getting the fire trucks out the door every day. So, you know, they have nice little setups. They have a, it's a 10 by 10 room, some are a little bigger. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they got full customization to set it up however they wish, and they don't pay rent. You know, I lived here for nine years. It was kind of a blessing and a burden. Uh, I didn't realize how much money I was saving living here, and I spent money on all kinds of dumb things. I shouldn't say dumb. They were things I appreciated. <laughs> I got good times out of it. You know, you went on a trip somewhere. You didn't work. You were going to a Capitals game. You didn't care. You sat in the front row. You had a little bit of extra money kind of deal. Drink all the beer. Yeah. So, you know, always made for a good time at the bar. Maybe you bought a couple extra shots for people you normally wouldn't. But you had that extra money burning a hole in your pocket. You know, some people would better than me, and they saved that money. But uh, it, it all worked out at the end of the day. I was able to uh, get my own house after living here for a bit, and it was kind of like, well, now what do I do? You know? <laughs> Before we go on anymore, I just want to say, she's talking about the caps, uh, go Canes. So I have to throw that in there. I'm obligated. <laughs> uh, as a... Uh, Washington native, I would actually upset a lot of people by what I would say, but I was born on Long Island, so I'm a big Islanders fan. And They still have a team? Canes kick our butt every year in the playoffs. 
So I was hoping we wouldn't bring up anything about the Hurricanes. <laughs> I, I should have wore a Hurricane shirt in here. <laughs> They're kind of like my public enemy number two, you know. It's always going to be the Rangers. Yes, yes. And then the Canes because we just can't beat them in the playoffs. So <laughs> That's how I feel about the Rangers. Yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody likes the Rangers. I don't think Ranger fans like the Rangers. No. <laughs> now, talking about that live-in program, um, I've seen – here advertise, and I don't know if it's still the case, and I think um, Hyattsville, I've seen them advertise to college students um, that you can come stay and not have to worry about paying, like room and board, just have to run, was it four calls a night or four calls a week? Um, let me get it right. Four nights a week? Yeah, so we don't, we actually don't ever have anything set on paper for requirement, what's not required. We've always talked about Hey, should we have something hold these guys accountable? For the most part, the guys living here, they want to be here, so they're here. Um, we probably are a little bit more. Like, for the most part, if you're in the firehouse, we're saying you're riding. You know, it's it's not really a hangout place. Like, yeah, you live here, but you're not paying rent. Yeah. And that's not to say you're not feeling sick some days. Maybe you got to study for something coming up. We can work with you. For the most part, if you're in this firehouse, we're factoring you in as staff, and we're trying to get up as many crews as we can. And again, it's something that you're not that upset about. You're trying to go to a fire. You're trying to go to call. So I, I don't know any good firemen that, on purpose, missed out on a right. on a on a working fire. Uh, but, and I I'm not speaking for anybody in this county. I know it used to be maybe this way. I don't know if they still do it that way. But guys used to have like duty nights, so they'd be able to sleep in the firehouse and not ride that night. You know, that would drive me crazy if a fire came out and it wasn't my duty night mm-hmm. and I had to sit in the firehouse and listen to it. Yeah. So I think the guys here are all kind of on that same page. We do get some burnout and, you know, we'll get the guys going out to bars and everything. We'll have other people coming in, give them a time off. But they understand that if they're here, they're going to be riding. Yeah. I can tell just from, from walking in, you know, we see all this stuff on social media who talk about, you can always tell it's a good firehouse when you walk in. You hear music playing in the bay, people working out, and the laughter in the kitchen, and that's exactly what happened walking in here tonight. So I can say that yeah. it seems to be a good thing going on. One of the things that uh, you know, our, one of our chiefs, Tony Keller, always used to preach was that day room table. Nobody's off limits there. And, you know, that's one of the things that makes the firehouse great. Like, yeah, I have the title chief. That doesn't mean I won't go in the day room and these guys won't rip me apart for 20 <laughs> minutes, you know? Like, if I do something silly or I say something silly, oh, they're going to make fun of me. They're going to bring it up every time we sit down in that day room. But you know what? It's kind of the everybody gets treated the same in there. And it, it, it goes against everything you're taught in an Officer One book, you know? Don't be friends with these guys. And everything. Like, at the end of the day, these guys are my best friends. Mm-hmm. and it makes the working environment so much like I know we go on a call I could tell them something and if they say something to me like hey that's not a good idea I, I know that carries some merit like these guys aren't afraid to look me in the eye as a chief and be like hey well hey maybe we do this idea instead mm-hmm. and that only helps the department you know it can't be a my way this is what I said we're going to do that so to be able to, and it's a super hard thing to develop, and by no means am I taking credit, 
because this was in place way before me. This is one of those keeping that culture alive, mm -hmm. you know. Chief was on scene, and yeah, we made a decision. It's we're gonna carry that decision out, you know. Like it's generally gonna be the right decision, but maybe there's times of, hey, let's cut here instead of here, and and you've got to respect that and listen to it and determine, you know. Okay, yeah, you're right. That actually was a better move. I'm glad you brought that up. So how does, how do you decide on who's driving and who is the officer on each truck? It's a little bit of a free-for-all. Uh, we have one guy who's our staffing coordinator, and he ensures we have at least four bodies in the firehouse at all times. So our minimum staffing is four. So that's what we always have to have here. Now... He will coordinate, obviously, the hardest spots to fill will be drivers and officers. Right now, most of our officers are drivers, and we're striding to get to the point where all of our officers are drivers, you know, and it was one of those things where we had a wave of guys that left, you know, and now we had to build some younger guys up. So it was like, well, oh, do we start them on driving or do we start them on the officer process? And tends to be you do the officer stuff first and then go into driving. Uh, so our staffing coordinator, he knows if he gets a driver, it's generally somebody that can either ride the seat or drive. And then he has to worry about, okay, let me try to find an officer. Finds an officer. And now he has the two hardest spots picked out. And then we work on the back step guys. Now it's a possibility, maybe you get one of these young kids who's been here for a week straight and he's been on the line, like he'll stay on that line every day. We're not gonna change riding positions every day. So if you came in and I was like, hey Kelly, uh, welcome to how long you in for? Oh, I'm here for a week and we go up to two crews and you go to a bar on the tower, you could ride that for the whole time you're here. Where it gets tricky is, uh, the drivers tend to bounce around a little bit and the officers tend to bounce around. Mm -hmm. You know, you gotta make sure you have senior guys working with junior guys. Uh, one thing we're not gonna do is throw a junior guy in the seat just to create an extra crew. And that that falls on the standards and everything, you know, like yeah. there's nothing we wanna do more than put an extra crew up. But we're not gonna put our name out there and throw some ragtag crew out there just to say we had an extra crew and then not look good on the fire ground. Yeah. So we always want to make sure we're doing our best to perform the job. So again, it's one of those things we got beds here. We got a lot of guys that live here. So officers, drivers are naturally flowing in. Uh, I'm on the exact opposite work schedule of another driver. So we do two days, two nights, four off. And it's, a, it's almost like we're guaranteed a driver, four straight days when he's here. And then when I come in, that's another four days straight that we're guaranteed a driver. Then it's like piecing together officers. Now, he'll drive the engine all four days of his days off. And, uh, you know, it's nice. You, you have uh, guys that, this guy, uh, John Fitzpatrick, who's a wagon driver here. Hell of a wagon driver when I was uh, coming up the ranks. I'm pretty confident in like 2015, 16, he put more miles on the wagon than he did his personal car. <laughs> he was here five days a week, 
driving the wagon every single day, and then he would drive to work two days a week, and his work was eight miles away. So All right. And he, he lived in Massachusetts. He would do that one big trip home a year. So that's where he picked up the extra miles to get him closer. But for the most part, he had more time driving the wagon than he did his personal vehicle. And, you know, when you do that, you start to learn everything that vehicle can do, what it can't do. You really learn its limitations. In it. Oh, yeah, definitely. So talking about standards, a big question that uh, was wanted to be asked, asked to you was, how do you ensure the standards are met? with the members that are out of state or they're not amount around much to meet their training and job requirements here. Yeah, I mean, the uh, the nice thing is this place kind of enforces the standards itself, you know. It, there's really no policing that needs to be done. Um, if you're an out-of-stater, there's some requirements you have to do for driving. You have to submit yearly, you have to submit your driving record. The in-state guys, it's automatically getting pulled by the county. But once you're in the system and you have a driving record, you just have to every year just resubmit your driving record and that's it. Um, we don't really get too many out-of-staters that fall off the face of the earth, come back for a couple months, and then just get thrown right into driving. A lot of times they'll be here for a week or two. They'll get to ride their positions they generally prefer. If they're truck guys, they ride the truck. Engine guys, they ride the engine. And then... Usually when we start getting up to that two or three crews, it'll be like, hey, uh, can you drive today? Yeah. Um, I, I, for whatever reason, we bank so heavily on our near in-state drivers, and they're the ones filling up spots first, that the out-of-staters, like, unless they're itching to come in and drive, really aren't, you know, like, we're not depending on them to drive. Like, they're driving secondary apparatus. And, you know, if, if we need to, we could take some time to have them go out and do a couple laps real quick and get familiar. But the other thing is a lot of these guys are driving at their departments already back home. So we generally have smaller apparatus, a little bit easier to maneuver as is. So it, it's a pretty simple transition for them on that one. Um, now the biggest thing, uh, the biggest hurdle for standards is you know, what is our standards for allowing a guy to run the seat, like I was saying earlier? Mm -hmm. how, how do we determine he meets that criteria, you know? And there's going to come a time where you're going to feel you're not ready. And some guys below you might be like, I don't think he's ready. And we have to do a little trial by fire. And we like to break you in on the special services. You know, you don't have to worry about looking up a hydrant on the way there. You're not talking that much on the radio. But we're going to have to evaluate a little bit under fire to see how you're doing. We can do all the live sim training and everything we want here. But sometimes you got to put a guy under pressure to see what you need to see. And for the most part, you know, guys respond pretty well when you put them in that position. They're nervous. They're scared. But when you do it, you have to make sure you pair them with a senior driver who can walk them through the process. So that's one of the hardest standards to figure out is... When is this person ready to ride the seat? But other than that, we almost have a process for everything else. So, oh, when can you ride the bar? You can't ride the bar until you've gotten your rookie book signed off, and it has to be completed by the tower captain. And when can you ride the line? Oh, all your engine company signatures have to be completed by the engine captain kind of thing. It, it is a big trust factor. Uh, you know, like me as an officer, 
I have to be able to trust that you're going to be able to force that door. And what a lot of new guys don't realize when they get stuck with, you know, food runs and everything, that's all part of the trust, you know? Are you coming back with the right order? Yeah. You know? Like, it, it sounds stupid. It sounds silly. But, like, when I was on probation, I messed up and I brought the wrong order in. I had to go back and get it. And it was one of those, here's your directions. They're laid out for you. You're told what you needed. How come you didn't do it? And you really don't think about it until you start getting older and you're like, man, they're right. Everything I needed was right there. I was in such a hurry to get back, I left without something. Those guys couldn't trust me to do the job right. You know, now I go to a food run. You know, you're going through the bag, sorting it on, making sure it's there. Yeah. Those bells are our dinner bell. Dinner bell. So, we have a little bit of a tradition. All fires have traditions, but uh, whenever we do a, a meal or gathering in the day room, they ring three bells. So, that's what those bells are. Do you need to go eat? No. Oh. Uh, so, I think it was our episode two we talked about how small things build up the trust. And I was saying one of mine, uh, when I first started on the career side, was was cleaning. And as I went to other departments and became a more senior person, I always jumped to cleaning the toilets and, and explained, you know, this, I can clean the toilets and I'm done. But as a new person, usually that's one of the jobs that you get told mm-hmm. to do. And... And that's one of those things. If we can't trust you to clean a toilet, we how can we trust you to do these other things? Yeah, I mean, something as simple as toilet paper rolls, you know? <laughs> yes. If you can't go in to check toilet paper rolls, what's going to stop you from not going in to check a person? And then some people will always give you the counter arguments. Oh, we're talking about two different things. Possibly in your world, but this, this is how we evaluate people, you yeah. know? I mean, toilet paper is important because <laughs> when you need it and it's not there, you're in a bind. Absolutely. <laughs> you can get to the argument of which way the roll goes, too. but We're not that picky here. Yeah. So how do you handle people that get through on the, the application and the interview process and then they don't cut it when they get here? Or say they, they kind of BS their way through the process in the interview and then get here and they're... They kind of put on a front to get here, and then they don't perform to the expectation they kind of laid out. So we're gonna do, we're gonna do everything we can on our end to give you that chance. For the most part, you know the number of people joining has gone down. You know we used to get twenty applications a month, and two or three would make it. If there's anything I've learned is. The ones that aren't going to make it tend to weed themselves out. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure if it's a, I'm a little bit over my head. You know what? I'm just going to not show up a little bit. They'll forget about me and that's the end of it. Or if it's just intimidation and they're like, man, these guys are wild. I don't know what I signed up for. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. Uh, and, and, you know, you always get those guys that have a lot of heart. And sometimes you have to have a difficult conversation with them. Hey, I understand this is something you want to do. But we have these guidelines laid out in the rookie book. And you're not able to complete it. And, you know, that you know that's our 
It's a basic starting point, the rookie book. Um, it's, can you throw a, a ladder by yourself? 24, 38, they even have to do the 35 by themselves from the rookie book. It's one of those things that you might only have to do it a handful of times in your career, but you wanna make sure you can do it if you need to. And then running the lines, for the most part, you have to run most of them one person, then you get the two person. If we do the 650, we do the full outfit of the 650. But, uh, and I almost wish every department would do this, but if you can't complete those tasks, you're not good to me, you're not good to another department. Like mm -hmm. that. And when we talk about <laughs> holding the standard, uh, what I think a lot of companies get into a problem of is, well, we need staffing more than we need the standard. Yeah. You know, let's let's overlook this guy. The minute you overlook one person, that's your new standard. And, you know, who knows what you're gonna be putting on the street after that. Yeah, that's that's the 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 new thing now is that's how standards get lowered. Everybody has a minimum standard and it keeps getting lower. And I guess that's one of the things that, that bring the volunteer and the career side together is that's happening on both sides everywhere. Yeah, I mean, it's it's all over. And, you know, you look a lot of these, a lot of it, I think, is the way we handle incidents nowadays. Um, if you see any comment about us online, it's like, why are these guys running? Oh, they're 19th dude on the third alarm. What are they doing running? We're going to treat every incident the same, and we're going to move at our speed. And what I've seen over the years is I've seen other companies that get on scene with nothing evident. They don't want to pull a line. They get complacent. And then when that is on fire, they've trained themselves all these bad habits that it's so tough for them to recover. And then people are always like, oh, how come you guys are so much better? And it's not that we're better it's just we're doing this a hundred times a month like it's muscle memory mm -hmm. and they've trained themselves that's the right way to do it yeah that's why the the old saying expect fire expect victims see what and I, I know a lot of places volunteer and career you get dispatched for a structure fire nothing showing you still pull a line right and yeah. i've been burnt a couple times uh we pulled up and it was a pretty big apartment two-story apartment I don't know how, maybe a hundred feet long. Nothing showing, walked around the side and there's black smoke puffing out. And uh, luckily when we got off to go investigate, the the engine had to, we, I'm glad we didn't pull a line that one time because we would have had to disconnect it and leave it there to get where we ended up having to be. Or we just would have added another 150, 200 feet. Yeah, a very unique time here within the last year they just changed it recently but we went almost a full year where fire alarm calls were deemed a perceived call and being an officer of the department this presented a huge challenge like it is well known that a lot of other companies in this county were not putting their gear on for fire alarms beforehand now you're telling them hey no lights no sirens there's no way they're putting gear on <laughs> Yeah. And it's like, well, how do I keep these guys motivated to put gear on? Like, even myself, I'm like, oh, why am I going to put gear on? 
It's 100 degrees out, and now we have to go 15 minutes, no lights and silence, to a fire alarm. Why do I want to put this gear on? And, you know, it's just a mental battle that you have to continuously tell yourself, yeah, it's a fire alarm, but it might be on fire. Yeah. And Something set it off. I don't have the numbers. One of our guys here ran the numbers. And, again, I said this program where they preceded the fire alarms. And for people not familiar with our lingo, I'm pretty sure this county, respond is lights and sirens, proceed is no lights, no sirens. In the time they were having companies proceed to fire alarms, it's probably the most working fires from a fire alarm I've seen in my life. You know, there's, I could think of at least seven or eight, including the very first fire alarm that came out right after they put that uh, general order out. They're like, hey, you guys are no longer responding. I think it was like 31's area or something like that. They get on scene of a warehouse on fire. It's like that right there should have been a sign like, hey, this isn't a good idea. That was, that was the fire gods <laughs> coming down. So thankfully that was only a one-year thing. It didn't even make it a full year. This January, they got rid of it. We're back to responding. And it's a lot easier to keep these guys motivated to keep that gear on. When you, when you have that, as silly as it sounds, you got that siren going, you got the lights flashing. It, it kind of engages your mind a little bit like, oh, what am I going to? What do we got? What do we got? It's so much different when you're going no lights and sirens. You're falling asleep on the way there. You're not paying attention to anything. Like, that was a fireman's trap, and we were so lucky we were able to get out of that. Yeah, it, it burns me up seeing people go. No, it doesn't matter if I'm on the career or the volunteer side. I see it, and it's easier for me to preach it on my volunteer side because I'm a captain there, and the the core group that pushes the aggressive culture, it's like, hey, you need to put your gear on. Like why you don't they like he comes up, one guy's coat was unzipped and didn't have air back on. I was like, man, where's your stuff? He's like, oh, it's just a fire alarm. It's like, what would you do if we pulled up and there's fire coming out or there's smoke coming out? And it was at a group home where there's a history of kids setting stuff on fire. Right. So, and then it, it really burns me up on the career side because you're getting paid to do it, and there's somebody out there wishing they were in your spot, yeah. and and you don't care to do your job. I think one of the biggest testaments to this place about how much they really go all in on that stuff, not even a half mile down the road, we have this apartment complex called Overland Gardens, 75th Avenue. We might go there every day for a fire alarm. We might go there two times a day for a fire alarm. Our apparatus are touching 75th Avenue at some point during the day, and we're still putting our gear on to go to those buildings and again like the proceeding that's not easy like you know at three in the morning when that address hits there's a good chance it was somebody smoking cannabis in the hallway having a fun time and now we have to go to reset the alarm or somebody cooking and we have to go and reset the alarm in fact the building's sprinklered you can look back 15 years 20 years you know they, they don't have a single fire at those buildings but we're still going in expecting it to be on fire every single time. And I think, you know, when you talk about standards and testament, like, you know, I owe it to those guys to hold that standard because that is super easy to go to an address every day and be like, hey, we know it's nothing. We're not going to put our gear on for this one. But these guys are getting off the apparatus, you know, making the department look good, coming in in gear, resetting the alarm, and we're out of there.
So if you were asked to go to another state to help create a brand new 100% volunteer department, what would you do differently starting from scratch or to get what you have here? So a lot of things, you know, like we already touched on here, some of them I don't have access to. I can't control the call volume. Yeah. I can't control the fire load. You know, whether we want to overlook that or not, at the end of the day, that is the biggest drive. You know, maybe you're an engineer, maybe you're a train conductor, maybe you run a food truck. You join the fire department because you like the fire aspect of it, you know. Uh, and the good news here is with the, with the fire load and the run load, you get the less leisurable runs. You get these fire alarms every day that you have to go to that aren't on fire, but you're willing to put up with it because fires are going to be coming. You know, statistics show you're going to hit X amount of fires every year. You just got to hang around the firehouse and eventually you'll catch something. Uh, that's the definitely biggest drive. But other than that, you know, just surrounding yourself with like-minded people, like, you could just handpick people from all over. You want to find guys that are like you. you. Want to do the things you do. You know they're not going to sit around and watch TV all day. Like they want to be up drilling and training. Uh, that was my biggest drive here. I'm probably one of the rare people that stepped foot in Kentland, having never heard of Kentland before. Uh, I started at a department just down the road at Bladensburg, and I was there for a year. And the only reason I found that is my buddy in New Jersey was like, did you ever hear about these firehouses that you can live in and you can go to school while you're living there? And I went on a website, I don't even know if it exists anymore, but fdlivein.com. I went right down in alphabetical order and sent an email to every company. And uh, Bladensburg got back to me in about 30 seconds. Kentland was not on that website. Um, very, very uh, strange thing that a lot of guys actually take pride in here. You're not going to see a recruitment thing from Kentland. Uh, it's a sign of weakness. You know, we we aren't to the point where we need to put up help wanted. You know, but a lot of companies around us are trying to keep the volunteer tradition alive and. They're spending social media money, like, hey, come join, come do a ride-along. You're not going to see that from us. And I, I think it kind of hurts us, and I think it kind of helps us. On one hand, you have all these people that are like, man, Cantland's doing so good. Their membership polls are probably full. I'm not even going to bother applying there. But then on the other hand, you got guys that are like, what are they doing that they don't need, need to be asking for members? You know? So we get a little bit of that curiosity, one swimming in ones, but... A lot of times when I'm talking to guys who have joined elsewhere in the county, they're like, oh, I would have loved to join, but I thought you guys were full or not accepting members. But, sorry, I got a little sidetracked on that one. Oh, no, that's good. You good. Uh, when I was down at Bladensburg for a year, um, great guys, I got along with them, great house, but for me, it was a young firehouse. I had uh, three or four guys there that were all joined about the same time as me. And, uh, you know, they're asking me three months in, hey, what drill did you join, lead today? And I'm like, lead? 
I'm trying to learn the drills. You know, I'm, I'm not ready to lead a drill. And just out of curiosity, I had enough time in the county, six, seven months in. I started hearing, like, man, this place, 33, they're, they're on every fire. Like, that first year, I came down, and, you know, Bladensburg did 45 fires. And I was like, this is great, because right before I'm back home, we did 12. Yeah. Like, 45 is great. And I was like, and those guys down the road did about 115. Um, so the year I was here, Bladensburg's truck was out of service for the whole year, so... It was engine only. They ran engine only. Forty-five fires. That's pretty. That's a pretty impressive stat. Um, but I just wanted more. And then I came down here, and they they had three crews up. There was a white helmet in every seat, and it was just every time I walked in the door here, they were doing a drill. And as a young guy who just wants to know everything you can about the fire service, like seeing people drill. It's like a huge, like, oh, this is awesome. Like, like some people are always like, don't you think people are going to be worried if, you know, they see you doing a drill at 2 in the morning and then you got to wake up again at 9 and do another drill? Like, you know, nobody's ever woken me up at a time here. Like, <laughs> sometimes we just wake up and start random drills and nobody can control the time it happens. You know, like, I've seen plenty of 2 a.m. drills here because we were all hanging out here watching TV and we were like, hey... Now would be a good time to do a rip drill, you know? And then I've seen plenty where you come back from that 7 a.m. call and, hey, let's pull some lines. And I don't think people realize what an actual draw that makes and creates for your fire department. So if I was building up from scratch, having those like-minded people that are willing to drill at any time. County's a lot different, and the thing you can and can't do is completely different, but... It wasn't rare to be driving around, coming back from a call at 2 in the morning, and your tower driver would just stop at a random vacant house and tell you to throw ladders up on it. And, you know, you're scrambling to put your gear on, you're throwing ladders, and your heart's pumping because you didn't expect it. It came out of nowhere, and it kind of helps simulate a lot of that going down the road and building up for boxing on. Then when it happens in real life, it's all smooth as butter. Yeah. And being somewhere busy, when I was in South Carolina, I was at two stations that were very busy, and both stations, we would drill out until two or three in the morning. Uh, it was one morning or, or one night, we had a, a new guy who was struggling with some stuff, and he came to us, just want to put this out there if any of the, the chiefs are listening. Uh, we didn't force him to stay out there all night. He came to us about nine o'clock and said, can you help me with this? He's like, I can't sleep. I don't want to go to bed until I can get it right. And it felt like maybe two hours went by, but then the sun was coming up. But but when you're somewhere busy, I mean, you have to drill whenever you whenever you can. If you're running all day long and all you can do is train at night, then you have to train at night. Yeah, you got to uh, find the time. Uh, it's like our president used to say, "Patch before he passed away." He was like, "The Landover area is going to give you the 15 runs every day. It's just a matter of what time they come in." If you got that doll, that's your time to take advantage of things because you're going to be busy later. And, you know, whatever time that is, that's that's when you do your drills and your cleanups and housework at. So 10 years from now, what are you doing that you would want to see in, in the year 2034? Ooh, I might be uh, hanging the boots up by then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there, there's an old saying that, 
Uh, one year living at Catalan is equivalent to five years in a career job. So I, I did that for nine years. So I think I'd be eligible for retirement by then. Uh, but in 10 years, I, yeah, the biggest thing I hope is the guys that are coming in keep the traditions alive. You know, like we pride ourselves on not going out of service. We pride ourselves on not going out understaffed. I don't see a change coming anytime soon. You know, that's just what these guys will do. Like, we'll bend over backwards to get people in here if we need to. You know, we, we've had call close calls where it's like, hey, I'm leaving in two hours. Is anybody coming in? Guys come out of the woodwork, you know. It's like, hey, we need to keep this name going. And we get guys to come in. Uh, that's the biggest thing is, you, you know, you just hope these standards that we've developed, again, like I started it off with, like these were all developed way before me by guys doing it before I was even alive. They created that culture. They created the standard. I just hope when I'm struggling to walk in 10 years, you know, these guys are doing the same thing here. They're keeping that same core value alive. There's been a lot of people I've seen um, on social media from the guys that are here that I'm friends with to follow on social media. I see them post stuff and see other people like bigger names, like national known speakers, uh, big like Camden, New Jersey, FDNY, Baltimore City, Philly, um, DC, like bigger department type areas who have gone up through the ranks in those bigger departments at one point in time was a volunteer here and say they owe a lot of their career to being a member here. Yeah, this, uh, this place is, I'd best describe it as a, a melting pot for the fire service. Uh, you, when you work in DC, you have stuff you specialize in, that's what you learn. When you work in Baltimore, you have stuff you specialize, that's what you learn. You work in Charlotte, you work in North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, California, you know, wherever you're working, there's something unique to your area that you're learning. And then those guys all bring it here. And then they spend the night talking to you about it. You know, like the Baltimore guys, they'll teach you about the row homes and, oh, this is how we attack row home fire. And it's not that we don't have row homes here. We do have row homes. So that is a beneficial conversation. You get your guys from the Northeast Massachusetts area. You know, they're, they're big on the lath and plaster. They teach, hey, this is how you hook this stuff. You know? And a lot of it could be on-the-job training. Maybe you go to a fire and they see a guy struggling and they're like, hey, check this out. You know? And the guy rips through the ceiling in 30 seconds. And you're like, well, why don't you do that? So that's kind of why I give it the name, the melting pot. You have all these different fire department cultures mixing together. And it just blows your mind what you're actually learning. You know, maybe you never use it. Maybe you do use it, depending on what you run into. And then it has created such a name for itself over the years that it isn't rare that you can almost go to most big city departments and there's some representation from Kentland there. You know, right down the street touching us in D.C., our past chief is the operations chief for D.C., you know, and he, he was a legend here. He's pretty much one of the guys that really built the modern-day Kentland. And now he's bringing back all kinds of traditions to D.C. and everything. And the guys love him there and everything, you know. And it was, it was no surprise a guy like that was 
excel and it's probably going to be the next chief of that place you know yeah and that's just me saying that. i don't want somebody being like oh is he going to be the next chief no that's just my prediction like he'll be the next chief of that place yeah. <laughs> but it's one of the the facebook posts on our page i think it was last week was saying about how there's a thousand ways to skin a cat which one do you do and are you sharing your way with others so it's kind of like you described here everybody has their own way they come here and share it, and that's and that's really what it about. What it's about, there's a lot of people who try and hoard that information and don't want to share. And at the end of the day, it doesn't really make anybody else better. Yeah, and a, a lot of times I actually like the, like on probation we kind of call it the Kentland way. Like, hey, we're going to teach you the Kentland way. The Kentland way might be nine other different companies' ways that we mix together and we figure out what's best. Uh, but we're also going to put the onus on you, like. Once you're off probation, like, you can do whatever way you deem works, but you better do it right, you know? Like, yeah. Do it right. You know, you're not bound to whatever methods we only showed you. There's a hundred ways to do things. The pro Don't come in, do something you saw on YouTube, and it's completely botched and messes up the operation. You know, be proficient in whatever you do and make sure you're doing it right. That's all I have, unless you want to throw out some, some other words. or The only thing I'll say, um, I know we catch a lot of slack. People like to say we are a very cocky department. You know, we got shirts that say Kentland is better than everyone. On that note, I don't ever want to be a member of a fire department that isn't bragging about being better than everyone. You know? I've been a member of three departments. We've all sat at the day room tables of all three departments talking about how we're better than everybody. We put it on a t-shirt. That's the difference. Yeah. Uh, if you're not sitting in your firehouse talking about how this is the best group of firemen ever and this is the best group, it's not the right firehouse. Yeah. So again, I've been in three different firehouses. <clears throat> to this day, all of them say they are the best firehouse. Yeah, and I truly believe the one I'm at now, this is the best firehouse. We put it on a t-shirt, you know, that's all we did. <laughs> yeah, so. that's, that's the mentality I, I try to tell people to have is, is you're the best where you are. Right. And if you're not the best, you're trying to be the best. And I'm a big David Goggins fan. I don't know if you know who he is or not, but uh, reading his books, he says, you have to walk into the room with the mentality of knowing you're the baddest MFer there. And, and I was like, you know what? I mean, that's kind of that's the fire service. You have to walk in not being arrogant or cocky or having an ego, but you yeah. you can't walk in being scared or timid to do something because that's when you're going to make a mistake. Yeah, and I'll, and I'll admit, you know, there's that fine line between the arrogance and cocky, and we tend to walk that a lot. Uh, I think a lot of it is just brought on by the Internet. Like, they love to hate that, and we love to take that hate. You know, that's a sign of, as silly as it sounds, if somebody's hating on us, that's a sign of respect to us. It's like, we're doing something right. You know, I, I grew up as a Yankees fan. Everybody, I'm sorry. Everybody hated the Yankees growing up, but we were winning, you know? Were they hating us because we were bad, or were they hating us because we were good? You know, that's what I always looked at. So that's what I kind of always correlated to. And, uh, yeah, I know you say you're sorry. I don't even know who your baseball, I guess Braves maybe. Split between the Braves and the Orioles, but if I had to pick, I'm going with the Braves. Yeah, so I mean, they're they just won a championship recently, but I got I got bored of watching championships. You know, I grew up in the '90s, 
the Yankees were dominating the nineties. Yeah, so were the Braves. We just couldn't, couldn't get couldn't past win the Yankees. The big one. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I mean, you know, people hated the Red Sox, people hated the Yankees and it was because they were good. So that's yeah. what I always kind of correlated so, yeah. that to. Pa- Patriots, the Chiefs, mm-hmm. LeBron. Right. That's all the same. Anything else? No, that's all I got. All right. We'll wrap it up. It's been another episode of the Down and Dirty Fire Podcast. Hey, Down and Dirty Fire Podcast listeners, Kelly here. Just want to thank everyone for listening. If you have any questions, thoughts, or ideas you want to pitch to us, you can reach out to us on our Facebook page, Down and Dirty Fire Training with the and symbol, or you can email us at Down and Dirty fire at outlook.com and the end on the email is spelled out a-n-d that's down and dirty fire at outlook.com look forward to hearing from you thanks again for listening